Hey, well, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I know there's a lot going on, and uh, I want you to know we're praying for you. Uh, we as a church are praying for the people who are involved in redemption. We're praying for our community. Of course, we're praying for our world. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep uh, reaching out to the people in your circle, uh, your friends, and those that you're in a small group with. Make sure that you're checking in on the people around you. And if there's anything that we can do as a church to serve anybody around you, please let us know. We continue to get out care packages. We've been putting together some nice little care packages of some essential supplies and some non-perishable food items. So if you know of anybody who's in need during this time because of job loss or because they can't get to the store, uh, please let us know. We want to help. That's a ministry that we want to continue. And I'm very excited to see that uh, those opportunities or those needs are being met uh, by people at Redemption Church. And so thank you for everybody that's been involved with that. Let's continue that. Kids, if, you, uh, if you're tuning in with us today, we've got some things that we want uh, you to engage with throughout the week. And so there's some, some uh, things that we've uploaded that the kids can, can do, a little Bible study that they can do together. And then we're hoping to get some more kids who will submit their answers to the questions on our handout uh, through video. And so parents, if you don't mind taking a couple of minutes to record your kids responding to some of those questions and then submit those to us so that we can put together some videos because we want... We want kids to be involved in these weekly online services, and so uh, send that to us. We'll get those put together and uh, get that back out there for everybody to see and enjoy. So we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to continue that series today, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I want to speak on wisdom in a world of chaos. It's been interesting to see how, as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, having no idea what was about to happen in the world, uh, how well some of the things that are coming up in Ecclesiastes are lining up with things that I'm dealing with personally. And so it's my, my hope that you'll have that same experience, that as we look at Ecclesiastes together, you'll see uh, that God's Word is living and active, and that He speaks to what's going on in the world today. And so let's look at wisdom in a world of chaos. I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Uh, it's a pretty good chunk of Scripture, but I encourage you to follow along and to be reading along, and let's look at the Word of God together. Verse 1, Who is like the wise person, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and do not persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity there is a right time and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. Verse 10, In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile, because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does, uh, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. 
However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Well, much like a lot of Ecclesiastes, some of the, some of the important truths that are contained in this passage are a little bit difficult to, to discern. It's, it, at first glance, it's a passage that kind of goes a lot of different directions, and some of the wisdom is, is, is hidden, I would say, under just a, a, little, just a little bit of digging required to get to what is wise and what is wisdom here. Verse 1 kind of sets the stage for the chapter, though. Who is wise? That's the first thing you'll see on the handout. That's the question that Ecclesiastes 8 is posing. It starts in verse 1 where it says, Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. So the rest of chapter 8 is going to be answering this question, who is wise? The rest of chapter 8 breaks down for us different ways in which we can be wise. But of course, as we see in, in chapter 8, just like in other parts of Ecclesiastes, that wisdom is limited to what is often called life under the sun. It's a wisdom that has value. It's a wisdom that can bring good to one's life, but it's a wisdom that has limits. And we'll see that as we go through this together. But who is wise? How do we, how do we know what, it's, what is wisdom in a chaotic world like the world that we're living in? Well, I think the answers might surprise us here. They're very helpful as we look through this passage together. The first thing we see about wisdom is that the wise obey authority. The wise obey authority. That's, a, I think, a very pertinent topic to think about today as we've been passed down lots of uh, suggestions, sometimes new laws, things that we've been asked to do by those who are in authority. And many of us have wrestled with whether or not to obey. But Ecclesiastes tells us the wise obey authority. Look at verse 2. It says, Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. I think the implication here is that sometimes we hear the king's commands. We don't, live, we don't live under a king, but we do live under governmental authorities. We hear the king's command, and we're, we're quick to leave his presence to disobey. Ecclesiastes says, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry to go disobey, but instead leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause, since he will do whatever he wants. Verse 4 says, for the king's word is authoritative. Who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful, and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. The wisdom here is that those who disobey authority ultimately suffer harm. 
those who are, who are intent on disobeying the laws of the land, those who are intent on disobeying those who are in authority over them, ultimately they will suffer harm. For every activity, verse 6, there is a right time and procedure. Even though a person's troubles are heavy on him, yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. I think the point here is that even the authorities that we're called to obey don't have authority over everything. There is a true and ultimate authority, and that, of course, is God, the creator, the sustainer of all of the universe. He's the ultimate authority. No one on earth has authority over all things. And so rest assured that even when, when you are asked to obey someone who is an authority that you may or may not agree with, they are not the ultimate authority. There are things which they have no authority over, things like the wind. Who restrains the wind? There's only one. Things like authority over the day of death. Who has authority over the day of death? Just one. In fact, that's been, I think, a source of comfort to me as, as we've lived through this pandemic for the past couple of weeks. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety right now in our society. People are afraid. People are afraid of what might happen to them. People are afraid of what might happen to their loved ones. Indeed, people are dying who we did not expect to die a couple of weeks ago. That's a, that's a frightening thing to live through. The possibility of, of actual death is a scary thing. What might do us good to be reminded that there is only one who has authority over the day of our death. It's not COVID-19. It's not any government it's not anyone around us. There is only one. God alone determines the day of our death. God alone determines what will happen to us in this regard. And so if COVID-19 were to overtake some of us, it would be because that was what God had planned from the very beginning. Comforting and scary. It's scary to be aware of the fact that we are not the ones in control of our own destiny. But it's comforting when we know that God is good. It's comforting when we know that God is gracious and he is kind and he is merciful. and He won't let anything happen to us that is outside of his plan for our lives. He is in control in all of these things, even in the day of our death. He goes on to say, no one is discharged during battle and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. Sometimes the challenge in obeying authority is that the authority over us is actually wicked. We, have, we struggle with whether or not to obey those who aren't doing what is right. Well, rest assured that God is in control. He will not allow those who practice wickedness to escape it. All this I've seen, verse 9, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. That is the time we live in. We live in a world where people have authority over other people. All of us live under the authority of someone, but ultimately we all live under the authority of God. 
Submitting to other human beings can be really difficult. It's, it's a challenge that we all face. It's, it's something that we all struggle with, whether it's in work, whether it's uh, in, in your family, whether it's in the church, whether it's uh, related to governmental authorities. Submitting to other human beings can be really hard. I think oftentimes uh, it's hard because we have in our minds that we know better than the people who are in authority over us. In fact, I've never been under the authority of somebody who was smarter than me. I've always been more intelligent than the people who were leading me. And that causes great struggles. It's hard to submit to someone when you think you have better ideas. It's hard to submit to authority that you think is not leading you in the right direction. Nonetheless, the wise obey authority. Listen to what Romans 13 says. Let's, let's switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament for a minute. Romans 13 says in verses 1 through 7, let everyone, and you'll just have to listen because this won't be on the screen, let everyone submit to governing authorities. Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God, so then the one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. We are called to submit to authority. In fact, the wise obey authority. And sometimes we think, well, if the, if the ones who were over me, um, if they were better examples or if they were better people, if they were wiser or they were smarter or whatever, but ultimately that's not the problem. The problem is with our hearts because Jesus is wiser. He is smarter. He is better. He is the perfect leader to be in authority over us, and we don't always submit to him. And so we're, our hearts are revealed that it's not a problem with the people who are over us, It's a problem with our own hearts. But the wise obey authority. Let's move on to the next point. The wise fear God, even when evil goes unpunished. The wise fear God, even when evil goes unpunished. The next section of Ecclesiastes 8 reads like this, start in verse 10. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile. Because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked. They will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God." The question that, that inevitably we, we're faced with at some point in our life is, what good is it to be good when the evil flourish and succeed and live long? What good does it do us to obey God? What good does it do us to do what is right 
when it seems like people all around us are getting ahead doing what is wrong. Well, that's nothing new for us to observe. That's something that humankind has wrestled with all throughout human history. We see it again and again in the book of Psalms. We see it here in Ecclesiastes 8, that the wicked succeed and live, and the poor suffer. I'm sorry, and the good suffer and are poor at times. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well for, with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. See, the wise fear God even when evil goes unpunished. Because we know that ultimately no evil goes unpunished. Just because the wicked are doing well now, just because m- many people may do evil and flourish today, doesn't mean it will be like that forever. Second Peter chapter 2 says this in verse chapter 4, or, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. What Second Peter reminds us of here is that we don't always see things from God's perspective. We don't, see, we don't see how he is handling people. We see from an earthly, temporal perspective. He sees from his eternal and infinite perspective. And he promises to judge all unrighteousness. He promises to judge those who live lives apart from him and don't do what he commands. And he promises to rescue those whose hearts follow after him. What you see is not the end all of this world. What you see today, you you may see evil, wicked people succeed. You may see them flourish. You may see it seems like things are going well for them. Here you are trying to do good trying to serve, serve God and obey his commands, and things just don't seem to go right for you. That's not the whole story. We see here examples from biblical history of God's righteous judgment against the unjust. We see examples of God rescuing righteous people from his judgment. That is what we should expect in the end, that God will rescue those who have trusted in him. For he will rescue those who have sought after him that he will judge the ungodly. It's not a matter of whether he will or not. It's a matter of when. When I was growing up, the last thing I wanted to hear my mom say was, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> that, when, when she would say, wait till your father gets home, I knew she was at her wit's end. She had done everything that she could to try to bring my behavior in, into line, alignment with her expectations for me, and she had given up. 
and she had, she had, she had punished me, she had uh, threatened me, she had done all that she could do to make me act right, and she was now resorting to the last tool in her tool belt, dad. Wait till your father gets home, meant I was going to get what I deserved. And, you know, it's not as, it's, it's, it's not as, as though wickedness goes unpunished. It's just that the timing of wickedness being punished isn't always what we want it to be. This is, a, this is an eternal human complaint. Why do the wicked flourish? The answer is they don't. Or if they do, it's extremely temporary. Wickedness goes unpunished only for a few years here on earth, but in eternity, justice is carried out. So the wise obey, the wise fear God, even when evil goes unpunished. Next, we see this. The wise enjoy the life God has given them. Verse 14 says, There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserved. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. So I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. The wise enjoy the life God has given them. Life has its ways of reminding us of all of the things that we're not in control of. We're not in control of, uh, we're not always in control of the authorities that we have to submit ourselves to and obey. We're not always in control of what the people around us get in return for their actions. We're not in control of, of the day that we die. There's so many things that we're not in control of. And so Ecclesiastes again and again points us back to this as wisdom. I commended enjoyment because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself, for this will accompany him. Eat, drink, and enjoy himself. Since you are not in control, much of what we chase after is futile. That's one of the themes throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, this futility, this, this idea that even the best that we hope for in this life is, is futile. It's a it's a grasping after smoke. It's something that doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy in the way that we hoped. Since we're not in control and since so much of what we desire and chase after is just futile in the end, enjoy the life you have now. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Don't wait until, you know, hey, when I have this or when I have that or when I have this much money or when I, when I don't have to, have to go to work every day or whenever we finally get to go on that vacation or when we get the house that we want, we get the car that we want. Don't wait. Don't wait for something in the future to satisfy you. Don't wait for something in the future to bring enjoyment to your life. Enjoy the life that God has given you right now. That's a hard thing for me to apply right now because this social distancing, this sort of living in, in isolation is, is not been in, has not been enjoyable to me and it probably hasn't been enjoyable to most of you with a few exceptions but nonetheless, we need to seek and we need to put effort into to finding the things that we can enjoy now. 
what's the upside of this? What are the benefits of this? What are the things that we have that, that we can enjoy and that we can take advantage of this time and, and make it fruitful and make it enjoyable? I want to challenge you this week. Make a list of the things that you're thankful for that, that haven't been impacted uh, by the pandemic. Make a list of things that, that you still have access to, things that you still can enjoy, things that you're grateful for. Make, make a list of your blessings. List them out and be grateful and enjoy them. Enjoy the life that you have now. Whatever that looks like, whatever, whatever opportunities you have before you, take advantage of this time where everything else is slowed down, where so much of what, what robs us of time and energy is, is sort of put on hold and just enjoy the life that you have right now. The wise enjoy the life that God has given them. Next, the wise know the limits of their wisdom before God. This is so important to get. You know, we're talking about, you know, being wise in a chaotic world and all of these things are are, are great nuggets of wisdom, I think, to apply to our lives. You know, obey authority, do what is right even when wickedness goes unpunished, Um, enjoy the life that God has given you. Those are good, but they have limits, This sort of wisdom has limits. And so the wise know the limits of their wisdom before God. Verse 16 of our passage in Ecclesiastes 8 says, When I applied my mind to know wisdom, to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. A couple of things here. The first is this is absolutely true. We cannot discern all of the work of God. There's just always going to be in this life things that God is doing that we don't understand. A wise person knows that. A wise person knows that there's always going to be limits to our knowledge and wisdom before God. A wise person knows that, that there's always, as much as we try to understand, that, that's, that's what um, is happening in Ecclesiastes. It's an attempt to understand everything that goes on under the sun. There's so much madness. There's so much craziness. There's so much futility in this world that we live in. I can't, I can't comprehend it. I can't get my head around it. A wise person knows that that is the limits of our wisdom. We can't discern all that God is doing. He's infinite. We can't get our head around everything that God is doing. That's one part to this. But the other part to this is that throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes, we have somebody who's operating with a worldview that is limited to life here on earth, that is limited to life as he says in his own words so many times, under the sun. We know, we know that because of Jesus and because Jesus came to the earth and revealed God to us uh, in even greater ways and revealed more of his plan and more of his activity that he is doing to us, that there is life beyond life under the sun, that there is life beyond what we experience here on earth. And so the limits of this under-the-sun wisdom ultimately is that it does not discern the plan of God to bring salvation and eternal life to human beings. Under-the-sun wisdom will only take you so far. It's a good wisdom. It's got many benefits, but it has its limits. 
when we reach those limits, we need something more. We need God's wisdom. God's wisdom takes us beyond how to live a good life here on earth. And it leads us to how to have eternal life with God forever. So the last thing that you'll see on the handout is that God's wisdom sent Jesus to get what we deserve so that we can get what he deserves. And there's this little, there's this little nugget, this, I think, that points us, this little nugget that points us to the gospel in a very meaningful way in Ecclesiastes 8. Maybe you heard it when I read it. Verse 14, the second half of verse 14 says, There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. This is such a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was meant to be prophetic, but no doubt those words describe the gospel in a way that the New Testament uh, describes the gospel to us. Romans 5, for example, says this. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through, through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. This is the beauty of the gospel message, that God took his son, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly just, who had no evil deeds, who had no wickedness in his life. He had no need to be punished for anything. He was holy and perfect before God. God took the righteous and gave him what the wicked deserve. He took his righteous son and he gave him what you and I deserve. He placed our sins on his righteous and perfect son on the cross. He poured out his wrath. He poured out the punishment for my sins and the punishment for your sins on the righteous son of God. The righteous received what the wicked deserved so that the wicked, us, could receive what the righteous deserved. We receive, Jesus takes what we deserved, the, the punishment for our sins, and he takes it on himself, and he gives us in exchange what he deserved. He gives us eternal life. He gives us, he, um, he gives us the reward of a godly life, a life lived perfectly before God. He exchanges the penalty of our sins for the reward of his righteousness. And he gives it to us as a gift. That's the beauty of God's wisdom. Is that God's wisdom sent Jesus to get what we deserve so that we can get what he deserves. 
You know, the Bible teaches us from the beginning that God created us to be with him. That's why he made us. He made us to be in relationship with him. But it's our sin that separates us from God. And so what God does in Jesus and what it, what it says here in Romans 5 at the end, that we, are, we received reconciliation. That means that though our sins separated us, the act of Jesus dying in our place on the cross reconciles us. That means brings us back together with God. And now we get the righteous reward of Jesus, the perfect son of God. We get rewarded in eternity as if we lived the way Jesus lived because he took the penalty of our sins. It's called double imputation. Our sin goes to him. He receives the punishment. His righteousness and the reward for his righteousness comes to us as a gift of eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of God's wisdom in sending his son so that we could have eternal life in him. And although I hope you embrace the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, I hope that you choose to be wise by obeying authority. I hope that you choose to be wise by fearing God, even when evil goes unpunished. I hope you choose to enjoy the life that God has, has given you right here and now. I also hope you know the limits of that wisdom. I hope that you embrace receiving eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in fact, I want to invite you to do that today. In the midst of a chaotic world, wisdom, true wisdom, says that we should turn to Jesus. Wisdom tells us that we need a Savior. Wisdom tells us that we cannot escape the reality of death here on this earth. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Romans 6, 23. He gives us this free gift. He offers us salvation. So I want to invite you to receive that salvation today. Receive that salvation by, by praying to him. Even as, even as, as I conclude uh, my time here and we, we prepare for worship, call out to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be your savior. Tell him that you are willing to receive him as savior and ready to follow him as the Lord of your life. And he'll give you the free gift of eternal life. That's where true wisdom ultimately leads us. It leads us to the cross, to our need for a savior and God's supplying that savior in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for wisdom. Thank you for wisdom that that ultimately leads us to what we need the most, salvation in your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to, to live the life that we were required to live but did not, and whom you sent to pay the price that we were required to pay but don't have to now, and to give us eternal life. I thank you for Jesus' righteousness being given to me as a gift, and I pray for all those who are right now contemplating receiving that gift of salvation. God, would you just open their eyes to see the beauty of your love for them, to see the need of their to see their need for a savior and to know that Jesus is that savior. He alone can save us because he alone is the savior. Father, thank you uh, for providing for us and sustaining us through this difficult time. Thank you that we could come together online to worship, to get into your word. I pray that you would grow your church. God, and I pray that you would use us to reach the people in our community who are hurting right now. 
May we be able to serve them and to love them in any way that you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in just a minute, I'm going to turn it back over to Greg so that we can worship. And, um, you know, some of you have been uh, continuing to give faithfully, even though we're not meeting uh, regularly. And I want to thank you for that. I want to just let you know how grateful we are uh, that you continue to support the ministry of Redemption Church through your tithes and through your offerings. Uh, if you want to give as part of your worship today, we'd certainly appreciate that. We'll put up a slide on uh, some different ways that you can give. If you're unable to give, uh, we're just glad that you tuned in and joined us and, and that you're here to worship with us today and to hear the Word of God. And so thank you either way. Um, let's go ahead and continue and worship together. <laughs> 